Real Business with Alan Wick. Hello, this is Alan Wick. Welcome to my show. I'm a business coach and I love working with mold-breaking entrepreneurs, which I've been doing for 18 years. Before that, I spent 25 years involved with my own businesses. Who better to epitomize a mold-breaking entrepreneur than David Hyatt, founder of Hyatt Jeans and The Do Lectures, both of which have a passionate and dedicated following. I'm delighted to welcome David Hyatt to my show. Hello, David, and thank you very much for agreeing to do this. Hi, and uh, thank you for you know, inviting me. I mean, it's lovely to spend you know, 50 minutes having a chat. Um, yeah. Amazing. Thank you. Uh, my pleasure. Please introduce yourself and, and which business would you like to talk about? Okay, so um, my name is David Hyatt. I'm uh, uh, an entrepreneur and I run two companies and uh, one of them is Hyatt Denim Company and another um, uh, sort of secret love is um, the Do Lectures and uh, that you know, organizes an incredible event um, and brings people when there's a virus um, to West Wales and, and we give free talks to the world and uh, some of those talks have been watched a hundred million times. So Gosh. it's a busy cow shed. Yeah. And um, tell us a little bit about the denim business to begin with. Yeah. So, I mean, I live in a very small town in West Wales called Cardigan. And so 4,000 people, many more sheep than people, but it's got this extraordinary bit of history about it. And that is it had Britain's biggest jeans factory. And so it used to produce somewhere near 35,000 pairs of jeans a week, every week for 40 years. And um, back in 2002, um, that factory closed. And so 400 world-class makers had nothing to make. And, and I thought, wow, that's... And I'd been in the factory, I'd seen the factory and it was profitable until the day it finished. It was an extraordinary um, factory. So the skills in the town were incredible. I mean, you know, if you go to, I don't know, Hollywood, and you will go to a restaurant and the waiter will be a scriptwriter, film director, anything related to the film, they're all trying to get into that industry. But like our town is the same. It has these skills. So if you have a driving lesson, that person can teach you to drive, but they can teach you how to make jeans as well. So the, like the reservoir of skills is just on another level. And so, I was running a company called Howie's at the time. I sold it you know, to Timberland and I was, I was a little bit broken by that because I was just kind of going, well, I felt like we half completed the mission. And so um, I wrote a business plan about starting a, a jeans business because actually I knew the town how, knew how to do that. But I didn't really want to run around that same track twice. And, and so I, I wrote the plan and, and put it on the shelf for a year. And then somebody phoned me up one day and said, why aren't you doing the plan? I said, oh, I, I don't know if I want to do that thing again. I feel a bit beaten up by that. And he said, well, it's not really about you. It's about the town. And if you don't do it, those skills won't get passed on. So put your ego to one side and do it for the town. And I thought, oh, that's another way of looking at it. And, and, and that gave me the fuel to go, okay, let's go and do this again. And when was that, David? Um, so that was, um, I think it was 2012. And so, you know, like the factory had closed in 2002. So, I mean, but an extraordinary event had happened in that almost decade, and that was the internet. And the internet suddenly allowed you to have a conversation with your customer and almost you know, cut out the middleman. So you could afford the really expensive, amazing British labor, and you could afford to use the best materials on the planet, and you could get an amazing product to your customer and still be a business. So the internet, you know, I just happened to be in the right town with the right people at the right time. And what did you do from then? How did it lead to actually getting it started and so on? Well, I, I sort of... Um, I then sort of went and, and um, uh, told the, the local newspaper that I was going to get, um, you know, the town making jeans again. And, and so that was on the Monday. On the Tuesday, we were front page news. 
And then on Wednesday, my inbox was, hey, I used to work in a factory. I really miss making jeans. You know, can we have a chat? And then we started interviewing and we literally, and the thing is, I'd never done a factory before. I mean, actually doing factories is actually really hard. And that's why most brands don't do it because it's much easier to outsource than to actually own, you know, the, you know, the production. And so, you know, it wasn't an easy thing, but if you only ever do easy things, like you're going to be with the crowd. And if you do hard things, you suddenly like separate yourself from pretty much everyone. And, and so at the time when we started, we were the only British brand making its own jeans like in Britain. And I think now there's one or two more, but not, you know, like this, this is essentially just us really. And how did you know what to start with in terms of the product and the pricing and the materials and so on? Was that having to start completely from scratch or were some of the suppliers that had been used before useful to you? Well, I mean, I sort of, I, I, you know, like from a business point of view, I love strategy. And so the strategy of the old factory was, you know, like who could be the cheapest? And it wasn't them. And it's never going to be, you know, us again. We're never going to be the cheapest. And, but I just thought, well, with, you know, like Ma Malcolm Gladwell talks about 10,000 hours of being a grandmaster is, these grandmasters, you know, our grandmasters have done 20, 30, 40,000 hours of making jeans. So they're in the elite makers in the world. So, so what I thought is going, well, we can't be the cheapest, but we could be the best. And the, the very start of it, it takes funding to start a factory. It's expensive business and the materials, the machinery and so on, as well as the, the people. How was that? Yeah, I mean, starting a factory is a pain in the, you know, you know, somewhere that I can't mention, but it's a pain. I mean, it's hard. So um, in terms of funding, you know, we'd sold our, you know, you know previous company, Howie's, to Timberland. So we had a, we had a bit of money. Um, and you know, we also, you know, like, got to know, you know, some people who would help us a lot doing the process of doing Howie's and so they become friends and and we got like 10 shareholders together and and we also said to them and said look we're going to build a brand it's going to be incredible but for 10 years you, you know I'll guarantee you nothing and I've kept my promise every year and so and actually the money they put in yes that was important but actually the advice and my advice to anybody who's going to start something is yes, get, go and get, get some money if you need it, but make sure that they can also give you more than money because that in the end will be the real value that they bring. And so you remember your very first opening first orders and so on. How was that? Well, it's, I mean, it's really hard. And actually to us, a lot of the hardness for me was, yes, we'd done it before, so we had experience, but it's a bit like when, you know, when you're growing up as a teenager and, you know, your mate's cars break down and you're giving them a push. That initial eight, 10 yards is the hardest push. And then all of a sudden, all you want your friend is to drop the, drop the car into gear and go. Um, but the initial push is hard. And both is, it's hard from a, a, a like a, like, an emotional point of view because you know you've done this before and you go oh, you knew it was going to be hard but it's also the capabilities you go if you're doing new things like you're doing this new you know you set yourself a new parameter to do new things then like we'd never done a factory before so that was a new kind of hardness and so but for me it's about storytelling the best brands in the world have a story to tell and and and, and I said this sentence almost more than any other is my town is making jeans again. Mm -hmm. And to anyone who wanted to know, it would always start my town is making jeans again, because the story is interesting because manufacturing goes away, but it only rarely comes back. And so that was the story. And, and also there's another story, David versus Goliath. My name's David. You go, well done, mom. Thanks for do, doing that really handy. Um, so, but, so we got the story out there because we went and spoke to all the newspapers and, and said, hey, manufacturers, uh, 
manufacturing is coming back home. And I went, oh, that's an interesting story because mostly they've been writing about manufacturing gets moved to China. And so, so like we knew that would be of interest. And, and actually what happened, we had an incredible launch um, and um, we had six months worth of orders in the first month. Um, but actually with factories is they don't like spikes. And you suddenly go, just because we have lots of orders doesn't mean we can make more jeans. And, um, and actually, so, and the, the hard thing sometimes is success, where you suddenly go, oh, and in my wisdom, I just thought, oh, God, you know, our first relationship with our customers, them having to wait six months for a pair of jeans, even with the best will in the world, it's just too much to ask. So I, I closed our website. And so for almost three months. So while I went and hired, you know, um, I doubled our staff, and you know, we got all the orders out. And then I opened the website back up and this remarkable thing happened. And that was nothing. Mm. I had no sales. And I just doubled our overhead. So it was like the perfect storm of going, ah. Oh. And, and I bought a nice coffee machine. So I spent all my marketing budget on this coffee machine. And I, I just, and I'd persuaded really good people to leave really good solid jobs to come and join me because I told them the future was we're going to go and make jeans again and we're going to get 400 people jobs back and and like you know and I had two weeks to go and try and like make wages and I'm going oh and the interesting thing for me is like like sometimes the beauty of a crisis where you actually do think super clearly and for me it was like sat down like I literally remember it sat down and I looked at my time and I said, oh, I'm spending 80% of my time on social media and it's giving me 20% of my sales. I'm spending 20% of my time on my newsletter and it's getting me 80% of my sales. And in that moment, I just went, everything we do from now on is all about the newsletter. And the, there is no doubt, like the newsletter, our newsletter is the most important sales tool uh, in the company and it saved the company but it's not just saved the company it's now growing the company and so if you remember you've got through that first year or so so where are we now roughly is this 2013 12 13 time yeah the, the, i mean the first couple of years were like i mean i knew they were going to be rocky so mm. um and they were do you mean and um and uh, and you know it's you know like in you know being super honest you know I, I, I'm looking at my phone and I can see this Jeff guy and Jeff is the bailiff because you get behind on your paye and and everything is hard yeah and and you know we were always you know like decent to him and you know like but any any time that I thought about buying something he would phone me. It was like almost he he knew that I was thinking about maybe I'll get a coffee. Doosh, Dave, what are you doing? Yeah. And so and but there's a couple of interesting things to come out of that story. Is like when you know that you've done this before in a crisis and when things are hard, you don't panic. And and so, but also when you're fighting for a bigger cause, you're going, we're going to get 400 people the jobs back. You go, this is just a bump in the road and this bump in the road is not going to kill me. So, so your purpose makes you strong. Mm -hmm. and, 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 and then you just go, okay, we just got to work this stuff out. Yeah, it sounds like that, that sense of purpose and almost pulls you towards it. Yes. So it pulls you through all those bumps yeah. in the road. And I mean, and to reduce it down to like really simplistic levels, for me, the power of purpose driven, uh, like brands, businesses, is they know how important it is, not just to them, is to, you know, like for us, for the town. And so you go, you have to find a way. And so it is, there's great grit and there's great resolve. And and, and, and that is the fuel. It's like the unwritten fuel that you have in your tank that makes you like, you know, it makes you like so interesting because you find a way. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. So what, it, it, were there any times, David, in those first couple years during all those difficulties ever when you felt like giving up? I don't know if like the sense of giving up. I think some days you, you had to just go, you know, what? today you beat me. You beat me today. But I'm going to go to bed early and I'm going to beat you tomorrow. Mm. And um, but not a sense of giving up, but just some some days were just way too hard. And, and, and the only thing you could do then is you can go for a run, get to bed early, um, go and watch the dumbest, stupidest comedy that you possibly can and just literally give yourself a break. Um, and then get up fighting. Did you have any support during that time? Well, I mean, like for me, it's when you work with people with such incredible skills and, and and I'm talking about the grand masters now and there is no requirement to motivate those people because and I'll tell you why is they'd heard the clunk of the gates close before and they didn't want to hear that again and so you know the, the strength really is the team where you're fighting on behalf of the team. To be part of a team is an honor because there's no person who is more important than anybody else. Everybody in that team is as important as each other. And so for me, it's like, like, like when you're working for the team, it's incredible. It's like you can learn a lot from um, you know, like a bike chain because no link is more or less important than the next link. Mm -hmm. And people understand, like they, they always celebrate the, the bosses or the coaches and, and, but the team spirit is incredible. And, and that's what I've tried my best on because I knew if there's, the, there's a strong team, we can find solutions to almost anything. And, and that gave me the comfort to go, okay, we can, we can get through this. Let's move forward a year or two. Was that a very fast growth or was that gra more gradual after that? Well, no, it was a gradual thing. And um, because I have this ethos in, in the company is like, how can we get better today than we were yesterday? And, and if, you, if you get 1% 1, 1 better today, over a year, 3,800%, and and people don't they always kind of go oh we're gonna yeah we're gonna get a uh, twenty percent growth I'm going I literally say to the team I'm going how can we get better today than yesterday and and if we do that if we find one way to get better today um, these things compound mm. and so um, I'm sort of like patient in terms of like if we apply that then the growth comes. And, 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 and so, so, and the growth did come and, um, yeah, we had a, you know, obviously a few lucky breaks here and there, but they were in a way we'd earned them. You know, we did the hard yards, you know, we, we didn't quit and, and we kept innovating and, and, and the thing that really holds me super grounded at times is just going like, you know, you've just got to go, well, how can we innovate? How can we do something? You know, the, the genes making process hasn't changed super a lot. And, and so, you know, like it's most innovative day was 140 years ago. You know, Mr. Davis and Mr. Strauss, oh, I've got a rivet. We should attach it to that thing. I mean, that was its most innovative day. And I think for me is it's almost like if the main purpose is get 400 people their jobs back is how can we lower our our impact on the planet and how come and we've got it literally written on the outside of the, the the building is you know how can we get lower impact today than we were yesterday and so like a lot of companies out there have like mission statements which i kind of i'm going to yeah fine i mean it's, it's at least you're focused but the thing for me is going, well, having a mission question is much more interesting to me. And what's yours? It, it was like, how can we get lower impact today than we were yesterday? 
and even if it's what by one percent and and so that's like for me is really interesting and 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 people like they, if they pay attention to the day that is in front of them then like the year that they get to at the end is much more interesting but if they do that all the time they will grow and and so i mean so i'm like the i'm like the odd businessman because I, I don't say, oh, let's go and grow by 40% this year. I, I, I say to the team going, how can we gain influence? What do we have to do to be on the front page of Vogue? What would we have to have done in order for them to phone us up? Mm. And, and so, and because if you gain influence, you, you're going to grow. And that, did you therefore never have traditional commercial goals? It was always purpose-driven, asking the questions, focusing on quality, and that, that would that the rest would come organically. Yes. Rather and, than having those. Yeah, and I mean, like you know, I, I mean, it, the goals, like the traditional goals, are interesting, but they're only as interesting as like the dashboard in your car. Oh, you've got petrol. Great. You know, the oil temperature is this. And, but I think that they are, they create a very traditional business and, and you know, solid. Yes, you've got to pay your bills. Yes, you want to have some growth. Yes. But I'm sort of really interested in business where you can go and make some change. I think if you, if you create a business, if you create a culture within that business, that is super hungry for innovation, for change, then remarkable things are gonna happen. And, and you can be a million pound business and nobody knows you. Mm. Or you can be a million pound business and you change other businesses mm. because of the way that you do your business. Mm. So influence doesn't come from like scale. Influence comes from ideas. And, and so, you know, like, I mean, I mean, uh, it's hard for my team because they just look at me sometimes going, mm, Dave, <laughs> like, um, this is too much. You've been reading too many books. Uh, and, but, um, but I also know it to be true. I mean, we make jeans for Rennie Rossetti, world's best chef. Now, there's an interesting story about him. And like, there was a, a you know a bookmark in his his history of this company like you know like a rainy April and they had forty I don't know forty three customers. Then two years later, they you know same date in April they had two and a half thousand people on the wait list. And Gosh. what was what was the difference? Oh, was he working any harder? Was, you know he's probably always working super hard. You know, was he any more talented? I'm sure he's he learned some new techniques, but he always had talent. So what was the difference? Well, they won the award for the world's best chef. Mm. The difference. So the difference is he scaled, not his time, not his real talent. He scaled his reputation by winning an award. Mm. And so he'd gained influence. Mm. His, his restaurant was the same size. Mm. And, and so, you know, like there's, I mean, and I'm talking like, you know, the opportunity for, business owners out there, listen to this now, you know, if you're a million pound business or 10 million pound business, you can have an extraordinary impact in this world, not because you're a 10 million pound business, because of your ideas and your, your practices. And you can change other businesses. And I mean, I wrote, um, when we was doing Howie's, I wrote a, like a piece in the catalog and people like collect the catalog still. Like, and this is 20 years ago. Um, so I wrote a piece in there and it, it said, the journey of a carrot. And I took a carrot from a Polish field and I, and I said in its, in its entirety, you know, like turn left at this roundabout, turn right at this roundabout. I mean, it wasn't the most, it wasn't poetry. It wasn't something you would want to read again. Um, and, and then, you know, finally the carrot arrived in, in Cardigan. And that was the journey of a carrot. And, 
So you write this and you go, oh, what influence does that ever make? Then I'm in Ojai in one of my favorite brands on the planet called Patagonia Clothing Company. Yep. And, and they said, when they read The Journey of the Carrot, that inspired them to do one of their most famous things, and that is their footprint chronicles, which they put on their website. And that came from a piece that I wrote. So, mm. so you go, how influential you know, like, can you be? Well, you can make great change, even if you're a small company on the fringe and the biggest change comes on the mainstream, is you can, by your methods and your abilities and your ideas, you can change stuff on the edge that can filter through to the mainstream. In simplistic terms, leadership being do something first, be the first doing something. And I, I sometimes think of somebody tucked away in the accounts department in a in a business and and saying well i can say they can be leaders and you look at yes. me like i'm mad because they'll think well of gandhi or mandela you know those are the sort of people who come to to mind with the leader I said well what if there's a guy young guy in in accounts and they come up with an idea to save debtor days for that company of 10 days and it makes a difference of hundreds of thousands of pounds yeah. and all they did was come up with an idea that had never been done before in that company uh, and they uh, um, execute it goes well and it works to me that's just as much leadership as any of the grand stuff we hear about yes. all the time and and the thing I mean, and, and that's what i've been saying to everybody those small wins small wins when you add them all up you suddenly go how 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 did you get this strong it's going well yeah 350 days of small wins is the big win and um that one percent better each day and if everybody is pulling together and that's the extraordinariness of when you're part of a team because in truth we will only really be part of a team maybe once twice maybe three times in in your business life where that team is selfless, where that team does extraordinary things, that where that team literally punches way above its weight. And, and that will be the stuff that you really truly remember where you, like, and you'll miss it and you'll miss the banter and you'll miss the, the, the stress of not knowing when you pull something amazing off because you didn't really know because you'd never done it before. And, and the truth is you'll miss that. And, um, and like for me is you know, when you're part of it is really knowing that you're a part of it now. And I'm really present in that thing. I've gone, um, I'm lucky to be part of this team. Mm-hmm. Now I'm going to push you a little bit on, yeah. the, on numbers, facts, figures, because okay. for those people who, don't know uh, genes and I know that the, the feedback I've had for, from the show so far is that people like to get a sense of turnover, number of people, in your case there may be number of genes going out of the door. Just give the listeners a rough idea. I know we grew 40% last year, I think we turned over 1.7 million pounds and we made a profit, I mean I don't actually know how much profit we made but um, so that's good and actually this year you know like well i mean up to you know up until sort of we were doing quite well at the start of this year we grew again 40 percent and um and actually march was our second biggest month we ever had so we are growing and one of the hardest things for us was to we had a switch from a small factory to a bigger factory and you know, and if you think like moving home is hard, moving factory is way much harder. I know we're going to go and build an incredible brand. I know we're going to build an incredible business. We've been profitable every year for the last five years, and and that is important to us because it means we don't have to go and raise money. That's why it's important. And my learnings from the Howies thing was, I wanted us to be you know, have the future in our hands and not in, you know, somebody else who either wants to fund us or not. Mm. And, and we get, you know, calls all the time going, hey, do you want a coffee? You go, oh, like, no, thanks. Mm. And you kind of know what the coffee means is going, you know, they want to, you know, do a deal or something. But, uh, you know, like, so then that's why I'm comfortable with slow growth. And I know for some, maybe 40% is, you know, that that's, you know, slightly 
in our sort of um, sweet spot is probably on the top end of where we want to be. I, I'm happy if we grow 25, 25% each year is fine because it doesn't mean it means we're profitable and we don't need to you know, fund it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so we're self-funding. And so I'm happy with being the slow growth company. And you go, oh, this company's growing 347%. I've run those companies. Mm. And I can tell you what, I prefer this one. Uh, how would the business look, say, roughly five years' time? Because I, I do believe in the power of imagination. And like, if I'm at an awards dinner and, and somebody said, and the winner to the most influential denim brand in the world is, uh-huh. and if they call out our name, I've got my acceptance speech written. And, and so that, that's the thing for me is, you know, like, oh, can we do the world's first biodegradable gene? That, to me, is interesting. And I, I know, like, for me, if we get influence, we don't have to worry about growth. You only have to worry about growth is when you're chasing sales. Mm. And for me, the most interesting brands create demand. And, and, and at the moment, like you know we're in a really nice position is like we're trying to keep up with demand but i also know that that is coming through you know some of the things that we're putting out there in terms of you know innovation you know some of the things that we're the way we're talking you know and the spirit that we have within our company but also our customers want us to win and and so they'll stand by us in tough times like they did in march you know, they backed us. Uh, and um, so like, you know, in five years time, I'm going, I want us to be one of the most influential brands in the world. That's it. I want us to be on the front cover of Wired magazine. I want us to be on the front cover of Vogue because I literally know if we do those things, we'll have done something interesting to be called. You, and talked, so, you talked just there about the spirit of the company, which takes me on beautifully, David, to something I'm sensing be really important to you and the whole point you made about team culture purpose-led businesses the culture that you're trying to develop in the business and i'm also thinking of the difference there must be between the employment that those grand masters had before and what they have now must be night and day yes and you've got to imagine like what they were asked to do in the old factory was to be the fastest yeah and and so and and I knew that, and actually, that's why I call them grandmasters. And, and, and so they all had their, their tops, and, um, and I, I, I spent, you know, again, most of our marketing budget on these wooden things. So that they're all encased by this wooden thing. So I'm going to, like, your craft people. You know, and we're now making Aston Martins. You used to make, I don't know, Ford Escorts. And it's fine. They've both got four wheels and they're both good cars. But, but now we're in the Aston Martin land. And, you know, I said to him at the beginning, I said, like, you know, our job is not to make the most jeans we can, but it is to make the best jeans we can. And so I had to create that mind shift for them because they were on peace rate. I mean, they, you know, they were rewarded for speed. And now this crazy boss comes in and goes, hey, we're not into that at all. You know, we, you know, we will compete by being the best, but we'll never win the war of being the cheapest. That, that's not our game. And, and culture is an interesting thing. Is, um, and people talk about it in odd ways. They put slogans up on the wall, and, and you go, ah, oh, that's the culture here. And you go, putting a slogan up on the wall is not the culture. It's just your ability to put a sign up. And, and I look at culture where when we were in the old factory, the landlord refused to paint the, the floor um, and it was scrappy and terrible. And, and, we, and I said, we can't do the best jeans in the world if that floor's like that. And, and the landlord refused and we had a big mini argument. And but the next day I spent 460 pounds on uh, floor paint. And as a team, um, we all painted the floor for two days. And, and actually those things are culture because like the next day the, you know, like a, a roll of material arrived 
and the grandmaster said, we're, we've rejected it, it's not good enough. I said, yeah. yeah. And so it, it's, it, you know, like, and people have manuals to tell them what the culture is. You go, no, the culture is what you do every day. Yeah, it's a fancy word, in my view, for behavior. It's, yes. how, it's how I show up, and if, particularly if I'm a leader, how I'm showing up, and then how I expect everyone else to show up, and how they behave, how they treat people day to day to day. It's a very hard thing, actually. In some ways, people think culture's soft, and sort of one of those soft woo-woo things, but in reality, I think that's the hardest thing of all, to get oh, yeah. that going. Mm -hmm. And the thing is, like, because when, when I preach about, like, I always say this thing, like, teams win. And, and, and people think, oh, you know, like, it's a great place to work. It is a great place, but it's not easy because you have to earn the right to be part of that team every day. And, 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 and so it's like, and, and that's a tough ask. Like, and so people think, oh, you know, you, you can't coast because you're responsible for the team. And so, you know, the team comes first. And, and so, like, cultures, like, they, they tend to wrap it and call it hippie stuff. You go, no, but it's the respect for the other human being and, and ultimately the collective goal of the team. The team wants to get the town making 400, you know, like getting those 400 jobs back, okay. We respect the team. How do we respect that goal? Mm. And, and it's not by coasting. Mm. Mm. And so it's, it's like, uh, it's like people think it's hippie. I think it's quite hard. It is. I think it's the hardest thing as well. And how far along that goal are you now with trying to get 400 people back? Well, I think stage? there's about 30 of us and, um, and you know, we are growing at, I mean, Obviously, the virus will decide, but um, you know we're looking at probably growing twenty to forty percent this year. Again, no big quest to grow more than that because it it would mean us raising a bunch of money. We don't want to raise money. Um, so, but it, it, you know, like things. I am a great believer in the compound interest. If you if you double a penny a day for a month, da 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 and people don't quite get it and you go at the end it's 10.4 million pounds or whatever but but people don't understand but like in the last four days most of the money comes in mm. and mm. and so all i have to do is create an amazing brand i, I need the nikes of the world i need all those companies just go what the hell are they going to do next um and as soon as and we're already beginning to see some bubbles there um, and, you know, so be patient at the beginning because real brands, real businesses take 10, 20 years to build. And you're not going to judge an acorn in the first three years, are we? I mean, because if we do, we're never going to get an oak tree. Yeah, great philosophy. Very interesting. And so as far as the effects switching now to your lifestyle and family and so on because another question that comes up a lot david as you can imagine from listeners is i'm working all the hours that that there are i'm not seeing anything of my uh, spouse and family and so on those early years must have been incredibly tough family wise uh, and they are um and there's no doubt and there's no getting away from it is that, like the, the first two, three years are, you have to invest. And, and mostly the investment comes in hours and there's, I don't know, there's a way around that. But if you always stay in that mode, you're not actually really helping your business. Mm. And so for me now, it's, the, the question I ask of myself is, if 80% of my impact in the business my biggest impact is here. Am I spending 80% of my time there? Mm. And if I'm not, then I'm not really doing the best for the business. Mm. And so, and businesses, as you know, they're really good at running you. 
they're really good at waking you up at 4 a.m. in the morning and think, oh my God, how my hell am I going to do this? And that doesn't always lead to the nicest of lives. And so you did this thing because you want to you know, have more independence. You want to be in control of your time. And the opposite happens. And that's Indeed. the truth that most businesses don't talk about. You go, yeah. I'm working harder and longer and for less. And that's not winning. And like, so you have to go, well, but if you actually looked at your time and you honestly said, where do I make the biggest impact in the business? And am I spending the most time there? Once you flip that, then you don't have to work longer because you're in the impact zone. The problem in your business is you're in meetings. And, and then you have a meeting about the next meeting and this culture of meetings exists. And you go, I, I go to two meetings a week and, and, and if I can get out of those, I will. And, you know, like if you hire incredible people, then let them get on with it. You now would you say spending most of your time at this stage, the business's um, development, working more on the business and yeah. looking forward than the day-to-day -day running? Yes. And, and so, I, you know, for me is going, right, how do we innovate? How do we build a community? How, you know, how can we do things that others haven't been? Because that's where I'm going to really add the value. Being in a meeting about production where I have no idea and when the grandmasters uh, said to me, they said, oh, they want to like, work when they want to do all their 39 hours in four days. I'm going, why are you asking me? I, I have no clue. Like, if you think it can work, then, then you should do it. Like, would you really get on a plane with me as your pilot? And, I, and the first thing I say to you, I've never flown before, but I've watched YouTube. You wouldn't get on that plane. Like, I've watched like youtube videos about people running factories but it doesn't make me you know like the guy who can run a factory i have no idea they've done it for 20 years you you obviously think you can do the work in 39 hours so why why would i care and suddenly when they're looking at me for like being the boss i'm going i can't tell you what to do like you know what to do and i, I you know you've had, got that 20 years worth of experience because you did 20 years of hard work uh, so they sometimes look at me and just go, oh, my God, Dave, what's he going to say now? But I trust them. Mm. And, and, you know, there's a great phrase by uh, Tina over in New York, and, you know, trust breeds magic. And so, you know, when you suddenly go, hey, if that's what you think, if you think that's the best way to run the factory, then I, I, I'm absolutely with you. And, and I run my day in the best way I think I can. I, I try and do three hours a day. Um, and if I achieve three hours a day where nobody interrupts me, then I feel like I'm in my impact zone. And then I, therefore I'm actually really helping the business. If yeah. you want me to go in meetings, then I'm pretty sure I'm not actually helping the business mostly. I'm sort of figurehead, I can make coffees, it's fine. But it's nice to be seen. But you know, Dave's in the factory, tick. When I'm in the factory, I'm mostly not working. And you talked about innovation. You said that the, the true innovation with, with Denim happened all those years ago and so on. But in the future, without asking you to give away any, any, any trade secrets, do you see room for innovation still? Is it in materials or shape or cut or what sort I, I of mean, areas? I mean, could there be? I think that there's some constants. I mean, you know, like people have the same number of legs. I think that's probably going to hold true. Um, the thing for me, the area I'm asking the question is, you know, denim is one of the most widely bought, you know, pieces of clothing in the world, and by de facto, you know, it, it is also one of the biggest polluters in the world. Uh huh. I so, wasn't aware of that. And so, um, so from the water usage, from the, the chemicals to, to grow the cotton, I mean, it's, it's pretty ugly everywhere you look. And most people don't know. And so, so I mean, our quest is going right, okay, you know, you know, we use organic cotton because it uses you know, 17 teaspoons less of you know, insecticides in the world. Um, um, 
we like hemp because it actually uses so much less water. We're doing a thing called, you know, the um, no wash club. Uh, so where people don't wash their jeans and, uh, and actually the biggest impact on the environment is by you and I washing our jeans. Mm-hmm. So eight, almost 80% of the impact comes from us either washing it or ironing it. You know, there's also a thing in jeans, you know, microplastics and people don't even know. So everyone's worried about plastic bottles. I'm less worried about plastic bottles because we can see them. And therefore we'll get so disgusted, disgusted by us, the mess that we make that a behavioral change will be made. But when you can't see the problem, then it can be allowed to continue. And so, um, so those things are of real particular interest to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, and I, I feel like we could go and do some stuff there. Yeah. So that sounds like innovation is more towards sourcing the material, less impact on the, on the planet and so on. In my mind, I was thinking of things like um, I'd heard, and I don't know the, the, the market, the industry at all, so forgive my ignorance, Dave, but things like um, if you're ordering from home and there may be uh, an obstacle in terms of fit and so on, whether or not there's some amazing app that you can sort of measure yourself yeah. with and oh, send and it into the factory and it gets made, I, that kind of thing. I think um, that will happen. And um, what I'm hoping is some somebody right now in their underpants in Silicon Valley with their headphones on eating Cheerios is going to solve it and they're going to get funding for it. Um, and then they'll charge me. They'll have the audacity to charge me a hundred dollars a month. And so, um, so, you know, cause we know that is actually a big problem and it is a big opportunity is, but we know that in order to go and solve that, that's going to take a bunch of uh, money, a bunch of funding and somebody will do it. And, and they're, they're already making inroads into it. Um, and, and so we are super curious about that. And, um, and you know, at some point somebody will solve it. And the thing that I've been banking on is you know, like 5g will allow that to happen. Mm-hmm. And so, so then you go, yes. Um, and, but we're not in the software business and, uh, but I, I'm, I'm super interested in, you know, where you go on the website and you can see where your jeans have been exactly or they're two weeks from being made or they're, they're in the cutting room and you can see a film on that. And so I think all this stuff is coming together and, and that like, cause we only have one shop. We just happen to have the biggest shop in the world called the internet. And so we should get really good at that shop. Okay. The, the motto of this show, uh, David is, um, I've adapted, uh, Steve Jobs, uh, famous mantra, the Stanford university lecture. I don't know if you oh, saw yeah. it at the end of it. And he yeah, said, yeah. there's one piece of advice. It's, um, stay hungry, stay foolish. And I've adapted that I've stolen it and adapted it to stay hungry, stay learning. Yeah, 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 and and I think that the the the, so the whole theme of the show is about learning and and so on. What would you say uh, are some really useful learnings that for business owners listening to this show that you'd like to pass on? Well, I mean, I mean, Steve Jobs, interesting. I mean, actually, the phrase comes from the Whole Food. Was it the the, it was the last page of um, a catalogue? And it was like the early Google, I can't remember what it was called now. Um, but um, I think some of the learnings I've learned is you, you have to go and hire well. And, uh, and, and I think you have to have a way of doing that, that, you know, where you have more success than you have failures. And so, because, Pretty much your energy in a company always goes to the problem, never to the people who are doing something incredibly well. Uh, and so you spend um, more time on the bad hires than all the amazing people. And so, 
So for me is be really spend more time on that and, and don't, you know, don't do it in like an hour. Um, you know, you know, set them, set them, a, you know, a project that they have to go and do it. I mean, everybody comes across well in interviews pretty much. Um, and, and also like, you know, like there's a really amazing uh, restaurateur in New York called Danny Mayer. And, um, and he, he, he's done things like Shake Shack and various things, but I mean, quite famous restaurants in New York. And, and his thing is you know, like, look, f spend like 51% of the decision has to be emotional in terms of their, you know, the things that you can't train them. You can't train them integrity. You can't train them to be curious. Then the 49% is the capabilities. You can train them that stuff. But if the 51% isn't there, you're going to try and motivate them. That never works, by the way. It works. All right. it's, like a, it's like a shower. You feel really good for 10 minutes, then you forgot you had a shower. And so concentrate on the 51% rather than the 49%. Most businesses always like concentrate on the 49%. And then they have all the capabilities, but they have no integrity. And then they have no curiosity. They have no hunger. And you go, oh, and you go. So th that would be one thing is, is that. And also... We live in this, you know, talk about learning. Oh my God. Like there's so many incredible people who've um, done what you're doing. But not only should you read their book, go and do their online course, go and be that hungry learner. And like having hungry learners in the company is incredible. Having to motivate people is the worst thing because you already know that you've hired the wrong person. And so, you know, like, be that learner. And so if you want your business to grow truly, you have to grow. And, and I think about it like sort of, if you think about like a, a, um, a house potted plant. And, and so the way to grow that is give it sunshine, you know, give it water, maybe give it some little fertilizer. But the really truly amazing way to grow it is to give it a bigger pot. And that's what learning is, is you, know, you have to grow yourself, your capabilities, your mental models in order to go and grow your business. Yeah, thank you. That's, that's very profound advice. Well, David, uh, I, I could have spoken to you for hours on the show. Look forward to uh, more success and perhaps uh, interviewing again in a year's time and seeing how things are yeah, going. Great. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for the invite. Pleasure. Well, that about wraps things up. Look out for the next time I interview another mold-breaking entrepreneur. And remember, stay hungry, stay learning. Real Business with Alan Wick.